All righty. Shalom and welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Brutal Planet, right here on Yeshiva Radio. And joined with me uh, today is our uh, part-time co-host, Mr. Hurricane Florence, is with us here today. I really know how to rock people. I want to rock! I want to rock! There you go. That, That was for Otto. We know how Otto loves it. He loves it whenever it is that I go and uh, do, um, uh, uh, go and uh, record songs and all that stuff. He loves that stuff. So that was, that was for him. And um, yeah, I'm going to send him a nice little ballad next time, as a matter of fact. That should make, make him very happy. We'll um, find some special. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, today we got a very um, important topic, a very interesting topic, to say the least. And um, today's topic, actually, is um, there's this movement that is kind of going on mainly within the Hebrew Roots movement. Some in the Messianic faith, luckily nobody in the Lapid Jewish faith, but it's only a matter of time until it happens. So where it is that people are um, trying to adopt other books of the Bible or other books and claim that they are a part of the Bible and biblical and all these things. Now, one of the things that you guys don't know is whenever it is that we, Matthew and I, do an episode together, the thing is that I never ask what Matthew's position is beforehand. And we always go and discuss these things objectively from every single angle that it is that we can. So that it is that even if there is disagreement, we've actually had disagreement on on this program um, in terms Mm -hmm. of the meaning of uh, Revelation 13, 1 through 7. And uh, and actually some other things as well, you know, some some minor things we've actually had disagreement on as well. And so, you know, um, there's there's a chance that uh, Matthew's ideology is going to be a little bit different from mine within this. And uh, some of these books, if it is that you're not familiar with them, they'd be things like Enoch. Things like uh, Jasher, things like um, uh, Tolbert and um, uh, Judith and, you know, uh, several others. And so we are going to be uh, diving into these and, and, and looking into these. And I want to start off that by, first of all, Matthew, you're, you're big into like superheroes and stuff like that, aren't you? A little, yeah. Why would you, okay. you specifically look at that? <laughs> well, there's a reason why I'm bringing this up. There's a reason why I'm bringing this up. Um, you take, for instance, uh, uh, Spider-Man. How was how the he became Spider-Man? A uh, bit by the radioactive spider. Okay. Now, Superman, you know, uh, what's, what's his deal? You know, how, how is it that, you know, he has all these powers and all this stuff? Uh, he's an alien. <laughs> he's Yellow, an alien. Yeah. Okay. Yellow sun. See, they, these are things I don't know. But uh, let's see. What about, uh, what about Batman? What is, uh, you know, how, how, why, why is he all suited up and all that stuff and has all these cool toys? What's, what's, what's his story? Hard work dedication. <laughs> Batman doesn't have a story. Okay. He has hard work dedication. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, he worked hard just to avenge crime. So. Okay. Okay. The reason why I bring this up is because all of these superheroes – have origin stories. Mm-hmm. They all have things that cause them to become who it is that they are. 
And by the way, I can hear you typing on the thing there, and it's kind yep. of coming through pretty loud on oh, there. Sorry. Well, I can't but, help that. That's what you get for using, okay. you know. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. This way, you went on the phone <laughs> rather than, you know, the high-tech way. <laughs> Absolutely. I understand. I understand. We need to find a way to get the but, high-tech uh, way to let audience participation. So. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you what. Anybody who wants to donate uh, $55 <laughs> a month so we can do that through yeah. Zoom, feel free you know, I mean, we will we will go and do it, but you know, right now that's that's just that's just ridiculous. We'll figure fifty five dollars for that. It's ridiculous. Maybe if we get you up in but, the last uh, decade of computers, we can do Google Hangout or something. Hey, bite me, <laughs> bite me. Anyway, go ahead. Okay? Origin story. Go on. Well, these these other Bibles or not Bibles, but these uh, but these other books that people have adopted. In many ways, you know, the thing about it though is that we will have citations such as is it not written in the book of jasher or mm -hmm. you know uh, in the book of enoch it says you know within the, that of the book of uh, jude and all these things but nobody knows the reason why it is that they were left out of the bible when they advocate for it to be in the bible and all these things and one of the things that we ultimately end up hearing all the time as well it was found among the dead sea scrolls and that'd be something that it is that we that we get into and I think it'd be um, to hit. It'd be good to hit some of the major ones, and uh, talk about uh, their origin stories. Essentially, uh, where it is that these books come from, or even if we know where it is that they came from, and and a little bit of some of the reasons why it is that they were left out, and some of the issues that it is that they have. Uh, should we Should we start with probably the Book of Enoch? You think? Actually, let's start with Jasher because it's the easiest to explain, okay. in my opinion, to explain away. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, Do you want to go ahead and start it off with that? Yeah, let's go ahead and start there. And one of the things you'll see, particularly with this one, is people say, well, this one's mentioned directly in the Bible. And they're right, sort of. Yeah, it does say in uh, Joshua 10.30 or 10.13, I think it is. Uh, I'll look that verse up real quick. But it mentioned there that, yeah, about the writing is, is it not written in the book of Jasher? And that's it. And it goes on about how, you know, the sun standing, you know, the sun being in heaven, and it has a whole context of what's going on. But it mentions that by name there. And people say, well, look, see right there that this book existed. Uh, arguably, yes. However, there's an interpretive thing you can do with that word, too. Uh, because the word there obviously is not Jasher, like it is. In Hebrew, it's Yashar, which can simply mean upright. It, it doesn't necessarily mean another book. But even if it did, we'll, we'll go for the sake of argument that it does mean another book. Uh, just like some of the well, people. Well, let believe. me. Go, go ahead. Can go I ahead. jump I in there? Go ahead. <laughs> Absolutely. The, the I, term I is Safar Hayashar. So. <laughs> well, well, the term is Safar Hayashar. Yeah. And the thing that's interesting about that is that you take, for instance, um, you know, which ultimately means the book of the upright. And, and the thing about it, though, is that the books of your Bible are not necessarily always called what it is that they're called now. <laughs> and in fact, within that of the Tosefta, as well as the Makita, we end up seeing in there that Genesis actually is constantly referred to as Safar Hayashar, as opposed to Bereshit or Bereshit or Genesis. Instead, is referred to Safar Hayashar. Why? Because of the fact that it's the upright ones are Avraham, Yitzhak, Vyachov. That's who it is yeah. that, that, is, that, that, that is talking about. Now, when it goes and it talks about this particular thing, is it not written in there? Well, it's not written in there, but it's a part of the sublevel 
of rabbinic um, interpretation of those verses. I agree entirely, actually. When I, when I started doing research on this book, because uh, as you know, there's a certain translation out there. I'm not going to mention it because I don't want to talk to the person or it. I don't want to, you know, be negative about anybody or their work. But I also don't want to give advertising to it either. Oh, do you have do you have that translation? Translation. Cool. Yeah. You close the. Oh well, no! Wait, wait. You, wait, you know what you're talking, talking about. about? The other. Yeah. You're talking about the other big book that yeah, that, yeah. that takes a psalmic and makes it a C. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. I know which one you're talking yeah. about. So not to give advertising or to talk bad of anybody specific. I'll, I'll avoid using names. But this person includes this as part of the books in that in that work. Uh, and I have a problem with this because I started researching to see what this was. Because, well, if it, if it should be there, well, I, why isn't it there? And I want to know this. Matter of fact, I went and got a Catholic Bible specifically for the copies of the Maccabees. Because they consider a couple of books as uh, what they call deuterocanonical, meaning they're mm. not canon, but they're secondary to canon. Uh, so they're, they're right. intentionally saying these are important works, even if they're not inspired. And that's how they consider Now, first those. of all, so, so I want to see if what, Joshua fell into the same category. Yeah. And now what now now what organizations the, with the with the books you're talking about like with the Maccabees and Baruch and some of these others what organizations or religious sects there's mainly two that see those as being biblical or as nearly do, inspired do you know which, how they, uh, yeah. what, just the Catholics and the Orthodox is it I know the Catholics yes do. yes the, the, Orthodox, yeah. the Catholics and the Greek or Orthodox yeah. yeah and so you know I got that I picked up a Catholic Bible for the Maccabees primarily. Uh, but also, also see other things, see what they were, because uh, Maccabees. There's nothing wrong with Maccabees, uh, as my opinion. It's, it's. I understand why. I understand why it's not in scripture. Honestly, I think it probably could have been, um, but given the standards that the, that the sages were holding to at the time, I understand why it's not uh, for a couple of reasons. But what I found about Jasher is absolutely condemning. It's. It, we have no, absolutely no ancient copy of it. It's not this fact that it's in question of who wrote it. We don't even have it to question it. As from what I was doing research, I think the earliest copy we have is somewhere in the 1500s. And even yeah, then, yeah. Was, even then, it, in the 1600s, it was already already known to be a forgery, a fraud. Anything and there's, built and on there's those two different. Yeah, and there's another one that came out in the 1700s or 1800s. Yeah, which is different than the 1500s one. And there's absolutely no. And I understand that those ages aren't a problem necessarily. I mean, we find things new things all the time but the problem is there's absolutely nothing to verify this these works as authentic and we have no ancient text even if you had a snippet of a page or two to compare parts of it to and we have nothing like that to do so i don't know that we can honestly that that should be a major disqualification uh, i don't even need to look at the content of the book at this point enoch we have ancient copies of dating back like a lot of people point out the dead sea scrolls like you said so we can have that conversation about enoch whether or not it's authentic whether that's author, whose authors were on, but you can at least say, okay, this is authentic in, in the age. Look, look at the content. With Joshua, we can't even do that. Yeah, and see, and, and the two versions, they, you know, they're, 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 they're so different to where it is. One has a guy by the name of Jasher that is, that is mentioned in it, so obviously they didn't understand the phraseology there. <laughs> and then the, the, the other one from the, from the 1500s, the interesting thing about it, though, is with that one, this guy, this was around the time of the printing press, who nobody knows who it is goes and supposedly translates this document and then goes and hands it to a publisher and says go and publish this and nobody knows who the publisher is so and, this and is the we issue. don't know what they translated from allegedly exactly there's no base text yeah. you know so nobody and, can and if you go through, later yeah 
Yeah. So if you go through uh, uh, that version of Safar Yashar, which is the one that I have, the thing, the thing about it, though, is that what it seems to be is you remember when you were in school and you had to do a book report, but you decided to be lazy and you go and buy the <laughs> cliff notes? You know, that's basically what it is. It's like a cliff notes version with some other weird off the wall stuff of that of the entire Tara. That's that's essentially what it is. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, basically, and that kind of seems seems like what they were actually planning on doing was putting out a Cliff Notes version of the Tara, essentially. It, it's, you know, it's, I think it's intended to be, you know, a nutshell kind of commentary overlooking, which is fine. But that's, you know, you have to have some sort of viable source first, and I think that's a problem. It has to be, you know, strictly right. scripture, it has to be scrutiny. Even then, people were looking at, even if they have the greatest uh, insights, they were at least looking at it. You know, so song I was looking at the other reference. There's another place in there. Uh, second, I'd look it up because I knew it was. In, I knew I just didn't know exactly where. But Second Samuel also mentions it there. And again, it uses the same uh, terminology as we see in uh, yeah. Joshua. So. But it also mentions another one exactly. about Song of the Bow. I was trying to look through what that was, but that looks like it's an an interpretation uh, edition. So I'm not going to worry about that. Exactly, you know, and, and also at the same time, you know, we, honestly, you know, honestly, I, I believe, you know, from the rabbinic sources that when it goes and mentions this, it wasn't necessarily a book named Jasher, it was actually Genesis and the rabbinic commentary yeah. of that, of Genesis, you know, but the, the thing is that, you know, you get into, you know, uh, something else there that is, that is a, 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 a huge issue that if, that, that, that first of all, if we don't know where the heck it comes from, you know, and all that stuff. And we don't have a lineage to go and say, you know, okay, well, you know, this, you know, we can verify that it was written by this guy at, at such and such a time and so on and so forth. Then, you know, it's it, it's very much a very big disqualifier. And that's one of the, the major issues that it is that we have with a great deal of these books. Mm-hmm. Now, the thing about it, though, is that, you know, you, you mentioned the the Deuterocanonical Deuterocanonical, yep. Yeah, yeah. Hard to say, I know. It is. You know, and you mentioned those. Now, the thing about it, though, is that, you know, when I when I look at those that have been that have been used by other religious institutions, I say, you know, first of all, they are great for history. Great for history in terms of understanding, you know, uh, the way things were interpreted at certain points in history. Mm-hmm. You know the way that it is that they saw things at certain points in, in in history, and a great deal of those things as well. It's actually better, though. It is that I am a Aramaic primus of the New Testament. <laughs> I don't know Greek. I don't know Latin. I do know Hebrew, but you know my Aramaic. I'm still working on. Uh, the thing is that with Greek texts, they are wonderful and far superior to that of Hebrew texts whenever that comes to, uh, you know, copies of a Hebrew or Aramaic text. Because at the time in which it is that they are written, you then have a pinpoint in terms of the theology that was practiced at that time by that particular sect of individuals because, you know, with Greek and Latin, everything is like razor sharp. You know, it's like, you know, one thing always means one thing. That's why it is that we use uh, Greek for, you know, classifications of animals and things like that. Mm-hmm. With Semitic languages, certain <laughs> words can mean several different things. So you don't get that pinpoint of 
understanding the, the theology of that time by particular sects of individual in, in the Semitic languages. Right. But also at the same time, when you mention things like Maccabees and things like that, there have been some newer discoveries of Maccabees in Aramaic. Whether or not they are authenticated, we don't know. But one of the things in terms of canonization of things for Old Testament things is that we have to have a Hebrew, um, somewhat, you know, rather old copy of it in order for it to be considered canon of the Old Testament or the right. Tanakh. Yeah, and in the case of Maccabees, for example, we know the, only, the oldest surviving copy today is Greek. Uh, second yeah. Maccabees we know is written in Greek uh, from the linguistic mm -hmm. nature of it. Uh, Mac, the first Maccabees, they, almost every scholar agrees that it was originally in, written in Hebrew, just the way the language, even the Greek text of it is obviously a translation, but they don't have that original one anymore. Exactly. Uh, but that, uh, ironically, that was not the primary reason, from what I've read anyway, of why that was not considered canon even by the Jewish sages before the Christian canon was put together centuries later. Uh, but I don't know if you want to oh, go yeah. to Enoch next or you want to go into Maccabees since we've started that. Well, you know, I mean, I wasn't even planning on talking about Maccabees, but, you know, hey, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll go and jump into it. So go well, ahead. Well, we talk about one that's not valid. So let's talk about that one I think that probably should be valid. Uh, not necessarily okay. as a scripture book. I, I, think it, I think there's problems with that because there are some issues with it uh, as far as how they, two of them, interpret the one and two particularly. Uh, I've seen some creative ways to get around a few things that might be contradictions. I haven't studied it well enough to get too far into that. But – I think that what I've read about the from, and you, maybe you can tell me if you know, read more of this, is that the Jewish sages at the time didn't consider it canon because of the – two reasons. One, the period it came out of, and mm -hmm. which – and this is largely the second reason. is because it was no longer in the age of the prophets. They considered that, that yeah. to have come to a close at the, at sometime during the Second Temple era. And since the book came out after the Maccabee Revolt, and, and because of uh, – we we, I think we've talked about this where the, where the Talmud refers to uh, Shimon Hasidic, his death in the – glory of the temple fading even more than already had, that that was a sign that that age yeah. was done. And that, that was a prime. Even the Hebrew yeah. was not going to be considered canon at that point because of that reason. And no. when they got around to making the formal canon sometime shortly after that, the book was added because the only copy left was Greek. That's what I've read. Um, exactly. However, exactly. even in Jewish circles, it was a, a great historical interest. It was extremely well known, and particularly in, in the time of the first century because – it, it had a lot of the foreshadowing laying the ground for, groundwork for Messiah, which we can talk about Absolutely. this in a couple of months, but this is why Hanukkah is so important, even to Messianic believers and Christians, or it should be. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, and, and, and the thing, of, and, and I think what Matthew and I are both saying is that, first of all, Maccabees is not canonical scripture, but however, in many ways, it is, it is, it is, I, I would actually put it, just one small step, one tiny step below that atonement. That's kind of how I would classify it. You know, what do you think? I'd actually put up about, about this, uh, in, in the light of what it talks about, I would consider it in a similar context. Uh, I, I don't, because it's not canon. It, it's not scripture, but it has an immense value in what it talks about and the events that it details. It's, it's a great biblical history text, in my opinion. Uh, I don't. Okay. I don't put Talmud on the same level that you do, but that's you know, that's, that's fine. You, you, can, you can be wrong <laughs> about that. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness, he beat me to the punch there. <laughs> yes, I, I knew believe you. that. I what knew the were, heck? I saw that look. I knew what you were thinking. <laughs> uh huh. Uh huh. 
One of these days, you know, you and Otto, I'm telling you, bang, zoom. <laughs> We're both in one place. And your your area is about to be flooded, so why don't you come here? I might have to do that. I might have to do that. Yeah, yeah actually, in my area, it's going to be down to below that of a tropical storm, so it's not even, you know, I'm not even, I'm not even worried about it. Well, that's good. You know, and plus, I... And plus, I live in downtown. There's no trees over here. You know, I don't have to worry about that. Yeah, streets don't, <laughs> streets, streets don't flood like you know like the woods do. Well, <laughs> I'm on the second story, man. My apartment's on the second story, so you know, I'm cool. I'm not even we, the the highest wind we're gonna get is like 20 miles an hour, so I'm not worried about it. <laughs> I just went to the grocery store today, so I was like, about a few good. gallons of milk, a few you know, a few loves of bread. You're set. No, oh, wait, no, why do people mind. buy why do people buy milk when they have there's a chance that their power is going to go out they're like oh that's that's smart. Well, let's go get some milk it makes sense when it's snowing because you just sit outside and stay cold yeah and everybody turns into fish at that time too i went over there you know decided to go and get all my groceries for the week and all that stuff and i always end up getting a case of water and fiji was the only water they had they had left so i'm paying five dollars for six things of water <laughs> you know? wow that's uh, yeah. a serious issue there, isn't it? Uh, oh, it's good, though. It's good, though. All right. So we got, we, we got down Safari Yashar, or Jasher, <laughs> and we got down uh, the Maccabees. Okay, should we, uh, should we move on to Hanok? Sure. That was fun. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's all I got to say about this one. You know, there, there's a little bit of a movement. And this one surpasses what I like to call bowel movements, okay? Because we actually have people now. Have you seen the guy? I think his name is L.A. Marzulli. That, you know, he goes and he's all about aliens and all this stuff. And then, you know, he starts out his videos. He's turned like this way to the camera. And he has his fingers going like this oh, all the I'm time. S- he looks like he should be on ancient aliens. <laughs> He'd do great yeah, exactly. with big hair. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I've seen him. And- and he's always bringing up freaking, uh, you know, uh, Enoch, Enoch. Yes, all the he time. Is. It's like, it's like, it's like the only book of the, the only book of the, and he considers it scripture is, is Enoch. You don't have to worry about anything else. You just got to worry about Enoch. Now there's some huge issues with this. And he does like the, <laughs> and we should, the fingers thing constantly. Oh yeah. With his hand. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen him. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's like, man, I don't know where those things have been. Stop that. <laughs> it's, it, it's a, it takes a bit to watch him with videos because it's very interesting. You know, they're, they're, uh, yeah, he does bring up some interesting points, some interesting things to think about. Uh, but I disagree. Like his mental state. I disagree entirely on 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 his uh, take on Enoch. It, I disagree. I mean, I, I, go it's ahead. It's a freaking anyway. circus. Yeah. Anyway, let's let's move on to actual Enoch itself here because uh, yeah, we, there's, there's a lot we can talk about with Enoch. Okay, now there is a supposed book of Enoch that is mentioned in the book of Jude. Okay, and then we have, and they, you know, the entire idea stems from what is happening in Genesis 6. Okay, mm-hmm. now within Genesis, Genesis 6, it says that, uh, uh, that uh, B'nai Elohim mated with, with women, they produced Nephilim, oh, essentially. Nice. You know, that's, the kind, of, that's kind of. The, yeah. He oh, gosh. 
oh, yeah, I think a lot of his teachings are based world. on this too. Now, let, let me ask you about this cat. He goes and he says, the, he says this, this garbage. And then he claims to be the world, he claims that the world is flat. And why is this guy like the number one Hebrew roots teacher? I don't know that. He claims the world's flat. Well, okay, I haven't heard that. I haven't seen a lot of his stuff, so I haven't heard that. But I haven't heard, I mean, I don't hear a lot of chatter about him, so I don't, I don't know. I don't know if you can say McKim is the world's number one or anything, I guess. But wait, wait, Enoch, let's keep on target here. <laughs> okay, we can talk about people all day, but that's not, that's not a good biblical thing to do. So let's skip, now, let's, here's let's keep the on with the book. What is the word in Hebrew for angels? Uh, Malachim. I said it right. I probably butchered that, but. Mm -hmm. You got it. You got it. Malachim. Malachim is the word for angels. What we see in, however, in Genesis 6 is we see Ben Ha Elohim. Two totally different words. Now, if we go and we do a basic word search and look up Ben Ha Elohim, or in some places, Benay Elohim, what we are going to end up finding in that of, you know, not only the Hebrew Tanakh, but let's say we even look at it in the Aramaic and look up Bana, uh, uh, what, what is it? But, uh, Bana Wa Alaha, which is the same thing. Okay, say, say we go and we look that up in the Aramaic. Uh, of the new of the New Testament, we are going to find in several places, in every place that it is used, that the term Ben Ha Elohim, the sons of God, are never referred to as fallen angels, not once. In fact, we see that first of all we have Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses, referring to that of the children of Israel as Ben Ha Elohim. We see within that of the book of Romans, we see that uh, Paul is referring to the believers as Ben Ha Elohim. Mm -hmm. We see Yeshua going and making note of, the, of his disciples as Ben Ha Elohim. So wouldn't there have to be a precedent for this idea of, quote-unquote, fallen angels at some point being called Ben Ha Elohim? They're actually, I'll, I'll tell you exactly where they, one of the places they point to. Actually, uh, there's a handful of sites they point to, actually. They point to site uh, verses in Job, uh, particularly 38.7, where, where God's, you know, responding back to Job. You know, he's, where he's, who, who determined the measurements of heaven, et cetera, et cetera. He says, you know, when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. He's talking about the actual creation. And they'll say, well, hey. There were no human beings yet. This cannot be a man. This must be the angels. Uh, and see, so, and, well, there's well, there's major well, there's major issue with that as well. I mean, because first of all, if you were to go into take take that position, and and then you would have to basically really go off the derrick a great deal in order to come up with that idea, because first of all, that would mean that Yeshua himself was a fallen angel. No, they say it was an angel, not fallen angel. It was simply an angel or the angels. They don't. I don't. Well, you, well I don't know that. I, I I don't think I've ever heard anyone specifically say that means fallen angels specifically. They simply say that, that in certain contexts it means angels. It's not in not, not no, every we, context, which is a good point to make also because I think in that vein they may be right, but that doesn't. 
on that same argument, they can't argue soundly that, that the Genesis account means only angels. Because, again, yeah. if you're going to say on context, it doesn't always mean that. It can't automatically mean that if you're going to use that argument to allow it to mean that sometimes. Well, here, well here's another problem. Is that, first of all, David HaMelech, King David, goes and says that God knew him from the beginning of time. Mm-hmm. Yes. He wasn't born yet. Okay, so that's a he huge wasn't born issue there. <laughs> exactly. And here's another thing. That within that of Talmud and Mishnah, it goes and it says within there, it says that the world was created for three individuals. It was created for David HaMelech. It was cre- created for Moshe Rabbeinu and for Mashiach. And so the thing about it, though, is that when we think of that, we can go and think of when Yeshua said, before Abraham Avinu was, Ina-na, in the, in the Aramaic, I am. Yes. And so, you know, this, this brings about a huge exactly. issue with that, with that idea there. So, so, you know, to go and take that without proper context and without a precedent being set that that is what it's talking about there, you know, it, well, that, that's... And they can point to some Jewish sources that's, that even say that. Uh, if you look at uh, Chabad, they, if you look at the Rashi commentary they have on their website, they translate Job 38.7 as, when the morning stars sing together and all the angels of God shout. They translate it as angels. Yeah, but see, also, that, that, the that thing about... is a Chabad source. I mean, that, that's... They are steeped in, mm-hmm. the, in the rabbinic tradition of the Talmud. So I can understand what they would... Yeah, so I can see... But again, you're making a contextual argument here. And then trying to make the, the one context apply everywhere. It's like, well, it can exactly. be. And their argument's right. Said, at, at, and I believe they're right. 100% right on this. At some times, that can mean angels. I, I think in the case of Job, that's exactly what it's saying. I, I have no problem understanding that that way. Because the plain text reading seems to imply that. However... You can't argue. Sometimes it means this. So here it must mean this because it's sometimes. No, time out. If it sometimes means it, it doesn't mean it always has to mean that. And we do see cases, like you pointed out, where it's clearly talking about human beings. And in the case of Genesis, if we're talking about people. Uh, I, I honestly believe that in that case, it contextually is referring to people, not to an angel. I know there are some who would disagree no. on that, but. I mean, you know. but, also at the, but also at the same time, most Jewish sources see. Eov, or Job, as being that of Agadah and Midrashim, not a literal story Correct. that actually yeah. ended up happening. And so, you know, when you get into Agadah and Midrashim, the thing about it, though, is that, is that you're having to uh, take yourself out of the, the, of the element sometimes. in many ways. Yeah, yeah exactly, yeah. you know. And so, you know, that's, that's one of the issues of using Job as a source for that, for that idea. But it does set precedent for the... However, I think... The context there, you know, hermeneutics would say go back to the first use. I mean, so that's why I said, it, it, I, do I agree that it can mean that? Yeah, probably. Does it mean it always has okay. to or must mean that? No. Does it likely mean that in that part of Genesis? No. I don't agree with that either. I'll allow it. Okay. <laughs> Tough. I said so, it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so what, we, what we, we should probably do is get into exactly what Enoch is in many ways what it talks about within there and as well as it's you know as we discussed earlier it's origin story so and all this stuff i do want to touch on one thing you mentioned though before we do that yeah you mentioned that it's mentioned that it's actually cited in jude yeah it, it, it absolutely is um the part i think it's from book one that's cited 
I think even, which is somewhere between 300 and 150 BC. So we know mm -hmm. its existence. We know it was found in the Dead Sea Scrolls. We can date it to centuries before Jude. We do know it was a, right. from other writings that it was very common. It was well known. It was a well known work in that time, in that period. However, right. the argument that well, it was cited, therefore it must be scripture, is a horrible argument. Paul, when speaking to a Greek audience, cites Greek philosophers to illustrate a point that does not make these Greek philosophers' words scripture. Simply because the principle was being argued and the citation was used does not require the book become, become scripture. Uh, Paul cites in Galatians 3, he effectively cites what would become part of Midrash Rabbah or Mid, uh, the Genesis Rabbah. He, he cites it given the interpretation of the 420 years, uh, you know, referring to from the time the covenant was given to the time people were coming out. And he, he uses the, the rabbinic understanding of that based on the language of it, which we'd see later written down. But he basically said, that doesn't necessarily make that all scripture. It just means he was citing a well-common known work. So Jude doesn't necessarily make it scripture just because he borrowed that comment. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and now, so a, a little bit about what the Book of Enoch is. Yes. The Book of Enoch has a different – and there's three books of Enoch, as a matter of fact. Five. And, right? and five I actually – they're, oh, they're, they're claiming five now? Yeah. Okay. Uh, book one being – I have a list right here if you want me to list them <laughs> off for you in their ages. Sure. So – First book is Book of the Watchers. That's the 300 to 150 B.C. era one. Second book is the Book of Parables from 100 to 1 B.C. to 100 A.D. The Astronomical Book, which in my opinion is one of the most Fruit Loop ones, around 200 B.C. Uh, the Book of Dream Visions from 165 to 140 B.C. And then the Epistle of Enoch from 200 B.C. to 180, somewhere in those ranges. That's the authorship date. Okay. So, so they actually quote okay. the most – this is a – yeah, so, so this is a couple of my family, but I kind of borrowed from several different sources. So, and that that cites okay. chapters from, all the way from chapter one to one hundred and eight as one big volume. Yeah. Okay. Now the thing the the thing with it is that uh, basically it, it's it's a very weird book, and I used to be a big advocate of Enoch. In fact, my <laughs> first book that I had ever put out was actually a study guide on Enoch. And the thing about it, though, is the sad thing is that it's still on my website for purchase. And whenever somebody goes and purchases it, purchases it, it, purchases it I go and I send them a message and say, I would like to refund your money and just give you a free PDF because this entire book's crap. You know, because I was actually a big advocate for Enoch years and years ago, probably about a good 10 years ago when I had written this, this book and all that stuff. And the thing about it though is I'm under contract from my publisher to still sell it for another year. Oh. You know, and so it's say, one of those things that's it? like that explains Exactly. It. Well, I yeah, if I could pull it, I would. You know, but I can't. I'm under contract. They would end up suing me for God knows how much. But anyway, <laughs> you know, and so the thing about it though is that, you know, then as I started to, you know, uh go and look at, you know, these the these texts, start to look at the Aramaic, start to look at the uh, the the supposedly ancient Hebrew of them and all that stuff. I started to realize something. That you have two main texts. You have one that basically that uh, has just a couple of pages uh, found in various caves that are within that of Qumran, mm -hmm. and then you have the Ethiopic text, okay, which is the supposed complete text as the first three volumes of of Enoch. The issue that, uh, that many scholars have cited is that basically the pages 
from that of uh, that are found in Qumran are not found anywhere within that of the texts that are within the complete Ethiopic text. They are completely different texts. And so I think thing part is, of that comes oh, from that. I think the copy of Enoch in the Ethiopian one is not uh, complete. I don't think it contains all 108, was it, chapters? I think it contains like 60 or 70, something like that. I don't. It doesn't contain the uh, the four and five that you're talking about. I never knew about a four okay, and five. So, so that would be uh, chapters eighty three to one hundred eight. Then, so it could it would contain up to eighty two. Then, if that's yeah. what it does. Yeah. Let's see here. I got. Let's see here. Well, uh, first Enoch oh. is eight. I got eighty uh, eighty nine. Uh, and these chapters are small within them. They're like only a couple of verses. I see. Uh, so far, on First Enoch, I'm at 92. I'm at at 100, and let's see. The last chapter is 108. Yep. Yeah, that's about what I expected. And and then Second Enoch, and so the chapters may be may be different based upon who's publishing it. Well, this is the uh, this is the five books of one, of First Enoch, and I don't think that Ethiopian yeah. has the same. I don't know about Second Enoch. I don't know. I've that one. I've never really put much. I've, I've looked at Enoch a little bit, but I've never put a lot to, uh, of studying into second Enoch. Yeah. There's, there's 68 chapters in second Enoch here. And then third gets into calendar here. Yeah. And there's 73 okay. of them. Okay. Uh, so, you know, I I I would guess that actually the chapter markings are just different. That's and, possible um, too. Different and different because because some of these chapters are only like four verses long. You know, let's try to the uh, Ethiopia because we can find something about how how big it is. Because it yeah. looks like they have those from different families. So. Yeah, and see, and the thing about it though is with that particular family of Aramaic, it actually has Nakud as well. Now, Nakud did not come around till uh, there, there were various forms of Nakud. Some of the Nakud, so like take for instance, be what, 10th century. Well, there were there were some that came before as okay. well. But like, let me go and mark off a place here. Okay, uh, like let's say that I had the let's say that I had um, I don't know. Uh, oh, that let me go and. See if I can move here. All right. Say that it is that I had the Aramaic Aleph there. Okay. Say that I had that. At some points in early Aramaic, you would have had the Nakud down here at the bottom, and it would have followed the same formula as that of the Hebrew Nakud, such okay. as Patak or Kamats and all that stuff. But then later on, when it got put into uh, Estrangelif, you ended up having the Nakud on top, you know, with things such as this or that, you know, and so on and so forth. The, now, with Hebrew, Nakud switched. It, it used to be on top, and then it went to the bottom. You know, so you know, it, it, they, they kind of got switched around well, a little you know. bit. Now, this one uses the later form of Nakud on the top. So many people go and date it early, but the fact is that it's much later. It's much later. The, this Nakud came about around the time of, I think, the ninth century or so, you know, in, in Aramaic. <laughs> and, and, the, and the interesting thing is that at that time, uh, about 100 years before then, 
the Greek Orthodox were big into this idea of fallen angels coming to earth and all this other stuff. And I find it to be very suspect and very interesting that, you know, this text comes out a hundred years later and it's considered to be a highly influential book within that of the Greek Orthodox. Well, we, we know the, that's not necessarily surprising given that Enoch itself was a fairly influential book, you know, during his, during, even though the first century, I mean, like I said, it's very likely a Jew did cite it, not that it makes it scripture, but the fact that it's well known. So, I mean, these, well, it would be, so it would be, being, it would be a Jew. For it to be known later, isn't necessarily surprising, particularly people who are like, yeah. Hey, we found this lost, you know, text. I mean, that would, you know, that would excite the world today. I mean, look at, look, look at yeah. the, uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls did. I mean, that created, you know, an immense, you know, wealth of, a. Uh, so everybody would jump on that. I can see that happening then too. We'll right. see. We'll see. Here, here, here is my here is my theory, and we're going to discuss the issues with Enoch. But my theory is when Jude was citing Enoch, that there was a maybe not it wasn't considered scripture, but there was a kosher version of Enoch that is nothing like the version <laughs> that we have now. Okay, and so the thing about it though is that is that very line that he cites is the very. Mm -hmm line that we find in first Enoch chapter one, verse one, you know, um, uh, let's see, actually it's not chapter one, verse one. I thought it was, but it's in the first, first chapter though, I believe. But, um, that very line is fine is found within there. So if I was going to make a, a fake text, of course I would adopt that line in there. And, and, and now I'm going to go and show why it is that it's a fake text and how you can okay. real easily let's hear it okay first of all we see within the the genesis 6 diatribe here that is usually okay this is when these things take take place this is where it is that enoch mm -hmm. starts out with the concept of, of uh, ben ha elohim that it is that we talked about and the film um, you know, that, that, that whole thing, it's most translations, it even says that, well, actually not even in translations in just the diatribe, it doesn't say that they were fallen angels. It says they were men of great renown. And it also cites this as well within that of, um, uh, the commentaries of Rashi and all this stuff. I mean, they keep on reiterating that this is who Ben Ha Elohim were. They were men of great renown. And it says that they went and they uh, slept with women, took mm -hmm. them as their wives. That's key. Took yep. them as their wives. And so we already have an issue if you think that they're fallen <laughs> angels or aliens or any of that garbage. Because of the fact that, first of all, Yeshua says in Matthew chapter 25, angels don't marry. Angels yep. cannot have wives. Huge issue there. Don't go destroy my, my aliens show. <laughs> <laughs> that show is very funny, thank you. Nano nano. That's 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 the only alien show I like. Mark from Mark. Nano nano. Uh <laughs> oh, come on. You gotta love the dramatic delivery. Maybe it's aliens. I mean, how do you not get it? I mean, that guy's hilarious. So. I I no. No. Anyway, I, I, I I I I say I, I say to myself that guy needs a lobotomy. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't. I don't yeah, well, I don't find I don't find that garbage to be funny. You know, I, you know, it's almost like you know, 
in the, you ever seen the movie Reality Bites? Oh, forever ago. I see stuff like that. I turned into Ethan Hawke from Reality Bites when Ben Stiller comes walking in. <laughs> and he said, is there some sort of cool points that I need to rack up with you? And he goes, no, sir. There's just an IQ prerequisite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, some people pass that bar, some don't, I guess. <laughs> so I do want to – can you hear about the Nephilim? I must mean giants. That's how it's commonly translated. Uh, right. I don't know. I haven't got a chance to look at any of the uh, Midrash stuff or any of the uh, commentary stuff from the Jewish sources to see what they say about it. But I do find it interesting that the word actually comes from Nafal, meaning fall or to fall in. Mm -hmm. And one of the uh, commentaries uh, saying that they're not giants, they're not you know these hybrid you know angel man kind of babies, was that the, that the term Nephilim would, coming from Nafal was simply meaning the fallen ones, which would exactly. actually be pointing to people not to angels. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and here's, you know, one, you know, as a matter of fact, it goes and it says over here, and this is from the Orthodox Jewish study Bible. Uh, it actually says Nephilim literally means, as you said, fallen ones. Arkelos in his, in his Targum on Genesis 33 translates this word to mighty men. Rashi likewise, likewise, states in his commentary on Genesis that they are called Nephilim because they fell, thus yes. causing the entire world to fall, whereas the Hebrew often translated giants. Uh, there have been many ideas on their identity. The, consist the consensus is they possess incredible physical strength and had generally evil intentions and corrupted the world greatly. Now, the thing about this is that we have a little bit of the diatribe of what was going on here. What was happening in the world at the time of Genesis 6? So, worth noting, too, the, the, I was looking at the, I had the Arashi commentary up still from the other thing. I just popped it back to right. Genesis. The Chabad translation here is sons of nobles, not, they don't say sons of God there. For that. That's how they translate huh. uh, ben Elohim, ben Elohim there, excuse me. And that's for contextual reasons, probably, yes. because the, these were, some people say that this was, the uh, the sons apparently, of Seth. Apparently, on the Rashi's no. commentary, that the sons of nobles is uh, borrowing from the Targum translation. Yeah, so that would make sense. That would so. make sense because because when when you have the Targum meme, the thing that people have to understand about the Targum meme is that in many ways it's kind of like. Um, are you guys familiar with, say, for instance, the um, the Amplified version of the Bible? Mm -hmm. It's a very popular Christian translation, and I and I, and I think it's a good one. Because it kind of helps you to see, you know, the three-dimensional aspects yeah. of, of, you know, certain things. And the Targumim kind of do the same thing with the Aramaic. Is they basically, there's going to be things added in there for the reason of context. To mm -hmm. kind of go and show you, you know, okay, well, you know, this, you know, uh, this is the reason why this is what it's talking about here. And it's only good, and within that of the Gutenach Homish, for instance, you have the Masoretic text on one side. And then you have the translation of the Targumim on the other, you know, and the things that are a part of the Targumim that are not a part of the Masoretic are within that of brackets to kind of show you, okay, this is here for contextual reasons. Worth noting, too, that the Rush commentary mentions that uh, where you see Elohim in Scripture, that it's, that it's often an expression of authority, and they, and they yeah. cite a couple of verses in Exodus. I can think of another one that, uh, that, that he doesn't cite here where uh, uh, it's from what the Psalm. Yeshua but, says. Yeah. 
Yeah, that, no. what, that comes out of what the Psalms is it? Reciting? So, you know, that's a you uh, are God. Maybe. Um, yeah, exactly. So that John 10, exactly. I believe. Yeah. yeah, because the word, uh, you know, when you go and you have the word Elohim, it can be translated in many different ways. Based on it context. It can be translated, <laughs> yeah, it can be translated yeah. as a singular plural form of God, you know, because it is the singular plural of the, of the word Elohim. Okay, and then within that, also uh, the word L also means mighty. Okay, at the same time, but we also see that it's also used for many of the names of God as well: Elohim, Eloah, El Gibor, El Shaddai. You know, several, most of the names for God actually have the word L within it. You know, and it signifies His, his might in many ways. And so the thing is that also at the same time that this plays in to that concept as well that it is that you're bringing up mm -hmm. in terms of, you know, uh, a, we can translate the idea uh, Ben Ha Elohim as sons of mighty and influential mm -hmm. and, you know, highly dignified and revered people on earth as well. Yeah. So... That's a that's a that's that's a huge thing. Now the interesting thing is that this takes place before that of Noah. When we go through the mm -hmm. the genealogy, we see that Noah isn't uh, uh, the other several generations from that of Enoch or Hanoch to that of Noah. The issue is that the book of Enoch, which is supposedly written by Enoch. Mentions Noah <laughs> and the flood. Yeah. Issue, issue. <laughs> well, that's that's just looking prophetically, right? Yeah, that's what they say. They were looking ahead prophetically, uh, which would be uh... the be would, which would be the most concise, clear, and perfect prophecy ever given in scripture, uh, because most prophecy has in room for interpretation. People can see in, and because it has most cases has more than one purpose i mean it, it this would be the most singular and most specific prophecies ever recorded if that were the case <laughs> absolutely and and there's another and there's another issue that should really tick off believers in yeshua should really upset believers in yeshua because of the fact that what is the name of the angel that visits miriam i don't know i've, I've I, when I studied Enoch and saw what it was about, I didn't bother reading into it much. No, 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 no. I'm talking about, oh. I'm talking about the New Testament. Oh, oh, oh. Who is oh, the I... name of the angel that bottled oh. the, I was about to say, you never studied the New Testament? What the heck's <laughs> like, the matter with you? Why are you, you my co-host? Sorry, I was looking at my, <laughs> my notes for Enoch here, and you completely switched gears on me there. So I was trying You're to You're drunk. My... <laughs> hey, I've, it's been a busy day. And keep, shut up and get out with your point here. Well, I'm, I'm looking up notes to keep us going forward here, so. Okay. You make your point. Okay. I'm pulling up our notes to continue the content of Enoch. The name of the angel that came before Miriam to let her know that she was going to bear Yeshua, name was Gabriel or Gabriel. Right. right. Well, this angel, apparently, according to the book of Enoch, is a fallen angel, very evil angel, one guy that cannot be trusted. And I, I'm trying to figure out why it is that people who propagate this idea of the book of Enoch being scripture, how it is that they could be okay with that? 
How can that just be, oh, you know, that's not something I, I, I'm really going to worry about. You know, but they say, wait a minute, wait a minute. It says within, within there, it says, it said, it says Gabriel, not, not Gabriel, but Gabriel. And I'm going to go and show that here really quick here. First of all, this letter within here of Hebrew, the letter Beit, can make two sounds. Mm -hmm. If it has a little dot within inside of it called a Dagesh, then it makes a B sound, as in boy. If it doesn't have a dagesh and is by itself, then it makes a V sound, like Victor or Van or something like that. Now, the issue is that you have certain things like Strong's coordinates that pay no attention to that of the letter B. So I'm looking up. I did a search of that because I wanted to pull up a represent. There's a later point in Enoch, I think it's chapter 53 that says, where it cites that... that uh, it just actually puts him on working with Michael and Raphael. So, it, yeah. So it, it, if, I don't know what verse you're citing there has him, has it saying he's a fallen angel. However, that would be a direct contradiction with it. No, in, in, in Enoch, it's, it goes yeah. in, and it's one of the listed of the fallen angels. And, and also another issue with the, with those angels as well is that first of all, it says within Enoch that they are bound forever in heaven. But, Hold on. It says that Michael kicks them out of heaven in several books of the, of, of the Bible within that of, uh, I believe it's uh, in, in Daniel and Revelation. Goes and talks about them being kicked out of heaven and then and God also, you know, going and kicking them out of, out of heaven. But in Enoch, it says that they're bound in heaven forever. Huge issue. Another big one, uh, and I, I try to follow the verse for it because, like I said, I've, I've only looked at this a little bit over the years and never put much to it because of the content. Uh, it mentions a different one for the uh, fallen angels. It actually attributes all the sin of all the angels to a single fallen angel. That that one alone bears. To Azazel. Yeah, that's it. I knew yeah. I recognized. I've heard it. Chris also mentioned yeah. there that, now, they, that the angels built the ark, not Noah, <laughs> which is also problematic. <laughs> I mean, it was little yeah. things like that. I was like, okay, I'm not even going to bother to put my time to this book because there's small things that just, which, which seem small on the surface, take a major theological change later on, though, which is why I didn't put much time to these. I mean, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, uh, to, that's something, you know, that, that particular book I've been looking at for years. And, and I'm, so I sit there and I bang my head against the wall and say, how can the world. Because I've been an advocate of that book for so darn long, and I've written a commentary advocating <coughs> for that for, for for that book when it's Man. so unbiblical, it's unreal. Maybe I need to go find that just to you know. Uh, so someone asked a question here uh, before we move on to this here. Uh, sure, Gabriel Cantans. I hope I haven't pronounced that too badly. So I said, can we read non-canonical books out of curiosity? Uh, yeah, well, uh, yeah, absolutely. one of the things that we. Yeah, one of the things we brought up is that, first of all, you know, one of the things that we have to do with all of these books is the best we can find their origin story, just like we talked about with Matthew and his superheroes and all that stuff. They all have their origin stories. We got to find out where it is that they came from. We got to find, you know, the, um, the, uh, you know, the time period in which they came out of, and then we we ultimately end up having to do is say, okay, who is the sect of individuals? that, you know, brought about this, this, this thing, made it, you know, a part of their readings and all of these things. And so we go and we look at that, and then we can say, we can better under, understand 
say, for instance, the Greek Orthodox at, you know, uh, at 400 uh, CE, or the Catholic Church at this period of time when they said these books were canonical, and all these things. And it helps us with chronology of understanding thought patterns of that of uh, religious inst institutions during the times that they were brought, brought out. I would also add that some of these books are beneficial read. Uh, Maccabees, for example, we talked about earlier. The, his yeah. the history of that. Uh, now, there's slightly different accounts, like, uh, for example, the death of Antiochus between 1st and 2nd Maccabees is different. So there's minor you know, points that you need to be aware of, which is why it's not scripture. It's a historical text where there's a discrepancy. But the general historical record, uh, maybe other than maybe some of the numbers, are, is actually fairly accurate. And we, we have to trace that back to secular history as well. So th there are some cases, some books like that, they're absolutely worth looking at. Uh, not just for the mentality of the people at the time and, and their spiritual thinking and what they were uh, looking at and what they were thinking, but also worth looking at for the sake of history in some cases, too. Absolutely. So I think some of them can be. Absolutely. Um, some, like we talked about Jasher, that we know is a, you know, basically a 1500s or 1700 fraud, uh, I would say don't waste your time. Um, that's like the, you know, fake, was it, the Gospel of Judas that someone wrote in the 1800s that they actually oh, found. Yeah. That was proven. Don't waste. We know it's a fraud. Don't waste your time. Uh, but some that we know for a fact that are ancient and have been around that time, absolutely. But just bear in mind they are not scripture, and they're not scripture for a reason. So. Exactly, exactly. And that's a great way of putting it. I remember I had a book when I was, I think I was 22 at the time, and I was actually you know interested in some of these other books that were left out, you know, and all this stuff. And I ended up going down to Barnes and Noble, and I got this thing called the Gnostic Gospels. And within that, you have the Gospel of Mary, you Gospel got the of Gospel of Judas, the Gospel of, well, I had to buy the Gospel of Thomas in a separate book. Oh. And then upon reading the Gospel of Thomas, you know, uh, probably about, you know, halfway through, I was sitting there going, this is utter nonsense. What the heck is this? You know, because you actually have, you know, it's, it's, it's at certain points you have Yeshua, you know, going at, in the translation using the F word. And all this stuff, oh, and I was like, well, "This that would be this a translation doesn't even issue. Yeah, yeah, but but I was sitting over there, but you know, I mean, I was, you know, at that time I was 22, didn't know the languages and all that stuff. But the thing is that you know, I was sitting over there going, "This thing doesn't even read like it's, you know, anything that was meant right. to be put out." It seems like, well, like you know, Thomas, for example, just a bunch of phrases. Yeah, Thomas is a collect. It's the narrative gospel. It's actually a collection of sayings that are allegedly, but it's a very gnostic text. It's not. It doesn't. Yeah, fit very much. The theology of it is very much uh, opposed to the theology of the scripture, both Old and New Testaments. Yeah. Uh, we do have another question here. Are these Catholic books? Some uh, of them. Well, I I'm going to say some of them because uh, I don't know the history of Tobit and Judith, for example. But in yeah, most they're, cases, they're both Catholic. Yeah, but are they the origins though? Back to the origin stories. But, you know, Maccabees is in the Catholic Bible. It's not in the Protestant Bibles. Yeah. Uh, there's another one, uh, Sirach. Wisdom of Ben Sirach is in there. Those books are actually Jewish texts. They come from, they're not Catholic. Almost nothing in the Bible is actually a Catholic text uh, because yeah. they didn't write any of it. It came from long before them. Uh, some of these books, there's a list actually, uh, I can probably find a link and post it in the chat here for you guys of actually listing all these things that, yeah, like the Apocrypha ones in there. Some of those Apocrypha books uh, yeah. be included. Uh, most of them are actually not. Only a few, I think, the Catholic one are the uh, Deuterocanical, which I'll make this all note also, those were in the Protestant Bibles until the 1800s. It wasn't until right. 
the mid 1800s, I believe, that the King James Bible, that the and the American Biblical Association, that actually had those removed. Yeah, but also at the same time, they they were, you know, those, you know, first of all, I don't believe that. I want to say this the nice, the nicest way possible, you know, because you guys know that I, I'm not one of the Hebrew roots people that bash Christians or Catholics or any of that stuff. That's not what I do. But first of all, in terms of the Tanakh, the Catholic Church doesn't have any authority over what's can, canon within that of the Tanakh. They don't. Okay, that's that's totally a Jewish thing. You know, that's you know that that authority, as we end up seeing from the words of Yeshua as well as from previous parshiot that we mention often, the, the Jewish people have authority over that. Not the, not not the not the Catholic Church, but. Um, you know, and that and that's something that you know we you brought up uh, Judith and and uh, uh, and Tobit, uh, Tobit. Yeah, and also known as Tobias. The thing with those is that first of all, um, there's not even um, they don't know if it was originally written in Greek. They don't know if it was originally written in Latin. They don't know if it was originally written in Hebrew. They don't know if it's originally written in Aramaic. So one of the issues that they have is that first of all, there's constant issue with you know first of all where did this come from what is its origin story that's one of the main issues now the whole thing with judith people are going to think this is really goofy one of the reasons why it is not considered a part of jewish canon is because of the fact that it was written by her father-in-law and not the bridegroom which deals with the halakhic issue. That's the reason why it is that, you know, and plus the, the fact is that they don't know where it, you know, what it was originally written in. Was it for Judith? All that stuff. Yeah, Judith yeah. was, uh, it was for a time found with some, is said to be, we don't have any surviving copies that, you know, I think but the old, some of the oldest copies that uh, Septuagint we have don't date back that long by comparison. Uh, it was not now. Some of these books are in the Septuagint. Yes, Judith was in the Septuagint actually. Yeah. Uh, but it, it being a later text, one of the other reasons they, they excluded it is because they can't confirm whether or not it was in Hebrew or Greek first, similar to Second Maccabees. Uh, also, because of the late composition date, just like Maccabees, it was past that period where they thought this was over with, and because it has open support for the Hasmonean dynasty, which everybody yeah. historically knows was like a very corrupt dynasty. There was not a lot holy about these people in any way, 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 form. So a text that was openly supportive of them is very problematic. Uh, it may have some <laughs> historical sense. It also has some character issues with Judith herself uh, being a little bit uh, seductive, I guess would be a good way to put it. So. Yeah. Well, you know, I guess, I guess the best way to kind of go and wrap all this up is, first of all, to discuss, you know, first of all, some of the issues that there there are with them being included, and some of these some of these books, not all the ones that we've mentioned, but a very small number, are included within that of this of the Septuagint, mm -hmm. also uh, within that of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Now, one of the things I sent you a list of all of the things within that of the Dead Sea Scrolls, and, yeah. and what is it that you ended up? Yeah, what what is it that they, they, they you ended up kind of seeing from looking at some of the names of some of these things that yeah. were in there? You know, people tend to think, 
People tend to think that the Dead Sea Scrolls was all scripture in there. Oh, no. That's there was what people lots think. stuff in there. Yeah. And, there were, and, and here's a list here. Sarak uh, Hayeha Yahad, the community rule. Uh, there's a book. Yeah. There's a text on, on Habakkuk here. There's a war scroll. There's Thanksgiving hymns. Uh, there's a, a the Testament of Levi, which is a book something to do with a guy from Cairo. Uh, there's a whole lot of commentaries, a ton of commentaries actually. Yeah. There's two of interesting uh, the two parts from the Book of Giants for Enoch. Those were two your Enoch pieces come from. <laughs> I, had yeah. throw, I had to throw that in there for you. There's the rule of the blessing and the rule of the benediction. There's the liturgy of the three tongues of fire. I mean, there's literally tons of these little things. And a lot of them aren't scripture at all. They're, a lot of them are commentary. Most of them look like they're actually commentaries. Wisdom of Sirach, which is a, is, is a deuterocanonical book in the Catholic Bible, is uh, found in this too, for example. Right. And so the best way to put this into, into uh, context here, when you go into the Dead Sea Scrolls, you know, uh, think of your own library at home. You know, you take, for instance, I put a great deal of stock into this book that I've been teaching on, the, uh, the Garden of Peace, a Marital Guide for Men by mm -hmm. Rabbi Shlomo Rush, as well as, you know, Rebbe Nachman's stuff. Now, 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 now think on this. Think on this. Say that, for, that something ended up happening, uh, some sort of apocalyptic event, and basically um, all of my books and all that stuff were somehow preserved for 2,000 years. They were preserved, and nobody had ever seen, you know, uh, an English book or a Hebrew book or something. And they brought all of these things out. And they said, well, we found this, this holy book of uh, the Garden of Peace, a marital guide for, for men by Rabbi Shalom Arush. We found uh, scripture that is called Rebbe Nachman's Torah. We found... Uh, Adam loves Eve, you know, uh, from First Fruits of Zion, you know, and they were trying to, you know, are all these books scripture? No, basically, you know, this is what you have within that yeah. all of the caves within that of the Dead Sea Scrolls. And one of the coolest ones there is the Copper Scroll. Yeah, they're, oh, they're still trying to open up today and still trying to read. It is a copper stamped plaque, basically rolled up in the form of a scroll that literally contains a list of buried treasure. And also, with it has very little 16th in the way of where century it's at. Nakud. But hey, yeah, with 16th century Nakud. If we're going to spend time looking for things that aren't scripture, that's something to look for right there. <laughs> Absolutely. So, so the thing about those, just because something was found within, within the Dead Sea Scrolls, doesn't really mean anything, in all honesty. You know, because, you know, we've got to understand the Dead Sea Scrolls, pe people get upset when I say this. It was essentially a trash bin. That's. Well, essentially, what not intended to be, were. but that ended up ended up being more or less. I mean, yeah, because the fact that whenever mistakes were made and all yeah. that stuff, the scrolls were discarded, and it was kind of you know it it, it was it was a trash can essentially. Well, but it, you know, also a decent oh, one. But yes, it, it was they they didn't want to burn. They didn't want to just throw them away, so they put them in a place, of course, you know, to set them aside because of the holiness of it, which yeah. is understandable. I mean, absolutely. Absolutely. And it now, makes it a valuable a, source, but oh, there's lots of phylactery in uh, mezuzah scrolls they found there as well. Yeah, that was the exactly. other thing. That, I knew there was something else I was thinking of that, that jumped out at me, and they found a lot of those, actually. And it's interesting, a lot of those were, a lot of the, particularly the phylactery scrolls, a lot of them are Hellenistic Roman style, which is a very interesting yeah. find as well, since they think it was the Essenes that put the, that you primarily were the you know, authors of these things. That's a very interesting find for them. 
Yeah, yeah, you know, but but also we gotta understand that it seems we're bad crap crazy at some at the same time. <laughs> so you know, it's, if you were degree, to take yeah. if you if you were to take the nineteen sixties hippies, you know the <laughs> now, now, people, now. you Be know, nice. and then. Have them in they the were just, first century. Well, Those were the Essenes. They know, were trying to know, be more they, they stringent. Were, they were they were even more strict. And I understand they were taking the ritual purity thing and trying to put it to an even, even more harsher extreme than the Pharisees in some cases. Uh, in many cases, I mean, there for instance, the distance you could travel on Sabbath, they went was it half or a third as far as the Pharisees yeah. would allow. So they had the right intentions, I believe, uh, not yeah. necessarily the right focus. But then they, but, but yeah, but then they got the, weird. They the were maybe unusual. Uh, some of them. And, and we don't know how some of these unusual is. We don't know exactly how dispersed these were. We don't know if this was, you know, some of the things we have survived in writing. I mean, let's say so if, if you arrived to write something really weird in a book and it survived 10,000 years from now or 2,000 years later and someone read it, it wouldn't be representative of all, all you know, all of us or anyone, all of us True. in this way or believe True. this way. It, so we don't know. I mean, heaven forbid, you know, the only, only one we find is that certain Bible version we talked about earlier being, you know, one of the few people find that wouldn't be. While it was certainly out there, it certainly isn't. It certainly isn't representative of the whole, much less the whole of that of those of the certain movements. So we have to hold, hold the same truth. We assume we don't know a lot about them, other than the few fragments we found, and we don't know how representative these fragments are necessarily. I mean, we True know dad, they were. Yo. We know that they were pious enough to to instead segregate themselves away from the temple because of the corruption there. Unlike the Pharisees, they couldn't even bring themselves to compromise to that degree and they would rather choose the point of fighting to the death and suicide than be you know in the face of the romans so i mean we, there's some good and bad you know in that was found in that i mean i try to cut right. them in slack on that because a lot of people will, will trash talk them real badly i mean i try to cut them slack <laughs> we don't know the world they were in entirely and i do believe that like most people they were i mean they, their concern was purity they were to an extreme and well, it seems certainly weird to us. I mean, so do some of the Benedictine monks who sequestered themselves for you know decades of their lives for the same reason. I mean, that's that's weird. That's mm -hmm. mob theology, but it's with a pure mm -hmm. heart. So, and I mean, and that's very fair. That's very right. fair. Um, I disagree with them entirely now, on some of that, but that's okay. yeah. I mean, oh, exa exactly, so, you know. exactly. But you know, now, I'll say this though: the, if if they feel yeah. that that draws them closer to God, and that is what they were doing, pure-hearted to honor Him. More power to him. Nobody should criticize him for that. Right. So laws are not Absolutely. violating his word. Absolutely. But however you adopt some of those books, it's going to be it's going to enable you to do it as a great well, extent. Amen. But you know the you know the thing about those that maybe we have to go and ask the question as well why it is that certain uh, self publishers such as the uh, that one that likes to add all these extra books <laughs> to it. You know, uh, why it is that that is such a popular thing nowadays and why so many are advocating for this. Do you know the answer for that? Well, I see a couple, a couple of things to this. Uh, first and foremost, people are, there are people who are desperately seeking to get away from things that they know is wrong. Now, a lot of times people are coming out of a situation, uh, to, and I'll say, this, I'll say this plainly, mainstream Christianity, a lot of them are coming out of, realizing that's completely severed from its roots. It's adopted a lot of things that would be flat out unholy and pagan in origin. And they're desperate to find anything authentic dating back to the time of the Messiah. They're looking for well, the first century belief. They're looking for those. And, and so in some cases, they're willing to look for things that they thought were hidden from them or taken away from them. Uh, and I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing. 
uh, but there's a level of discernment that's not there. Uh, I think some of these people who are doing it, some of them may honestly believe these things are valid. Some of them are doing it just a profit. Uh, I think there are some absolutely sadly that are. Uh, but I here's here. I really think most here's people what are I, seeking are trying to find, even if they're looking in the wrong places. Here's what I have found for publishers who are putting this out today, especially within the, uh, the Hebrew roots movement and the messianic faith. Here's what I have seen as, you know, working with some of the people who have done this. Okay. That these texts are public domain. Mm -hmm. They're, they're public domain. Meaning that you could go right now online, find yourself a PDF of uh, the Book of Enoch. You could go and import it into um, a Microsoft Word, make it a sacred name version with yeah. whatever version it is that you yeah. want to use, and then put it out as your own translation. Now, mm -hmm. and we see that do this. The thing that is that, that, that I see across the board from people who do this, people who put out these translations don't speak the Semitic languages right. that these things were written in. Or the, or the Greek that, that some of these are preserved in, in a lot of cases. Yeah. And, and, and so for those people, the, those publishers in that case, I think those I think are doing it you know, for some self-serving reason in some cases. Um, yeah. Publishers are probably not because it's easy money. You don't have to spend a lot to, yeah. to put out a book that's public domain. Uh, and well, that's sad. a lot of them are self-published. I mean, yeah, and I think a lot, of, and that's another thing too. I think it's it doesn't take the time and dedication that it does to go through all the channels to learn all this stuff. Um, I mean, and, it, and also through through self-publishing, you also don't have what is called I, peer peer review. Yeah. And, and you know, you, you are uh, not going to you're not going to yeah. find James Trim or or Stephen Pigeon at SBL or or, or ETS. Uh, you're not going to find them presenting. I was listening to uh, uh, Thomas, uh, D. Thomas Lancaster, one of his sermons, I think it was, yeah. was him. Uh, now, he's at SBL every year. I see him there the, every uh, year. the Shavuot Conference that First Fruits did last year, he had a really yeah. interesting sermon called the Sea of Jerusalem, or Holy Sea of Jerusalem, referring to the era when we still had the apostles and the council in Jerusalem before you know, 70 AD, or well, a little after 70 AD, I guess, when they all started getting run out uh, by the Romans primarily. But he, he was talking about their, the, the period of authority, and said, what authorities do the people today have to change things or to you know, dismiss certain things? And he's like, well, we don't. And that's the problem we have today is we have – well, I don't think we necessarily need to be under the rabbinic authority because Acts 15 makes that pretty clear we don't. However, that was a lower ruling, you know, in the, as, you, as you put a one time, a Beit Din kind of ruling. That was not a Sanhedrin-level kind of thing, and they were even in accord with the Sanhedrin of the day, what they were instructing. But today we don't have that authority. We don't have anyone to bounce these things off of and to guide these things. And I think there's a hesitance, if not hostility sometimes, to look at the Jewish authorities and Jewish sources and see what they've said about these texts. And I think that's a huge mistake. I don't think necessarily we have to take these as this is absolutely what must be done, but we have to take them into account. Uh, they, they have spent centuries scrutinizing these books where people today are looking at them, particularly coming out from this perspective, You've been looking at it for, well, 10 years maybe. Well, big deal. You've got people who've looked at it for centuries, centuries ago, who vetted it, or in this case couldn't, and gave valid reasons why they shouldn't be listed as canon. So, exactly. And, and I think that those sources, to dismiss those and not pay attention to those is a mistake because, of these, because it, raises the, it runs into these theological problems that we're discussing that come up new that have already been settled 2,000 years ago in some cases.
in most cases. So I think we, that those should be looked at for that reason. There's, there's a sense of authority there that, that's just simply dismissed. And it's, I think it's, and that's exactly what it is. It's, they don't want the authority over them. No, I think I think that's what it is as well. But however, I, I, I disagree with you in terms of, you know, you say that we really shouldn't be under rabbinic authority. Well, so we I, say, I say, have to be. I think Paul makes some very good distinctions about particularly the Gentile population coming, coming, you know, be as a, a, a part of the Commonwealth of Israel, as the term used in Ephesians. I think he makes a very good case for people coming to know God, coming to learn from the scriptures and from the Jewish people who yeah. were given, who they were given to, but that does not require you to become Jewish in that context. And I think no, exactly, for that, exactly. And when you come to that, and he makes a very good case that if you do convert that, you are under that authority. And he says you don't have to be, and those who are telling you you do are wrong. But he, he even defers when the Council of James, you know, when the Council uh, head by James, they say, you know, you'll hear the scriptures read in the synagogue. Uh, as a matter of fact, depth of the Torah talks about this week's and this week's portion. That I'm every... buying that on Friday, by the way. Oh, are you? When, the I, when I when I get paid series. on Friday, I'm going to. Let me see if I can pull I'm that. Going to do the fifty dollars a month and do it. Let me see if I can pull up the actual comment there. Because they make a comment in there that there's a that when they're talking with people about going to the synagogues, they mention it twice in the New Testament where they're saying where they flat out and say that they were speaking of the synagogue, the scriptures being read there. They were expecting the people to be there. As a matter of fact, the Greek word there it is is uh, anagnosis, and, and the word used three times in the New Testament, twice specifically with the Torah being read in the synagogues. And the other time hmm. you see it is referring to, uh, as in First Timothy, is until I come give attention to the public reading of Scripture. And they're referring, of course, to, because this is violate uh, uh, where the, the command in Torah is given to read, read it publicly. And that's what this is. So Paul was affirming that the people will be doing this, that even the Messianic believers should be in the synagogues hearing the scripture read. And that's what we see in Acts 15. They say, hey, go th do these four minimum things, and they'll hear the Torah read every Sabbath in the synagogue. So while Absolutely. he wouldn't say you're not going to be under that authority directly, they'll still learn these things. And I, and I think that that's a problem. That, that, that's, without that framework, that's where a lot of people are coming from. They don't have that framework anymore. And, you know, that's one of the things I've made as a personal interest. I've, I've actually put myself in a position to learn from people, specifically from a Jewish context even. Uh, one of the shows yeah. I watch online is the Accidental Talmudist. Uh, they go to the Talmud, and it's wonderful. I've learned a lot in that program. And uh, they I've do heard great, good things about that cat. It, absolutely, I love their stuff. They do. He does a great teaching, and he explains it in a context, you know, completely from a Jewish context. They're not messianic or anything, but I learn a lot from that perspective, which is exactly what people in the first century would be doing. In my position, coming, you know, hearing about Yeshua, we believe in Messiah, but who would you be learning from? The Jewish people who not all of them would have believed that. But you know what? They coexisted in the same synagogues until the, until the early second century, until Roman pressure and the Bar Kokhba revolt caused a complete severing. So I don't think Absolutely. there's any reason why we can't learn from each other. Matter of fact, the now, teacher I won from a meme contest has a comment on the back of, I forget the, uh, uh, with the, which part, the citation, but it's, you know, it's the, who is wise, one who learns from everyone. I mean, Absolutely. So. Absolutely. And that's that's a that's an old uh, a Talmudic. Uh, actually, I think Rashi said that, if I remember correctly. But uh, I, I know it's Talmudic. So I just don't remember exactly. It's, it says it on there too. I have the shirt. And I forget the citations yeah. on there. It's on the back of the shirt. You know, I, it's one of my favorite it's, shirts actually. That's, that's kind of like what I what I tell you know people all the time is I say you know, listen to those and learn from those you don't necessarily agree with because from them you're going to learn the most from them. Um, <laughs> now, <at> the, <laughs> Benzoma. That's what no, it I think, is. Okay. Now no, I think it's also. 
as we uh, close out here today, I think that we should ask the audience if they have any questions about any of the things that it is that we have discussed. And if so, go and put your questions in, and Matthew and I will do our best to go and answer them. And also, I um, want you guys to know as well, on Friday nights, we do a, a live Torah portion study uh, through the Zoom app on your uh, mobile device. And uh, Matthew, Matthew's there sometimes. Are, are you going to be there Friday? Or do, nope. or do you I'm have a... I will be out, uh, out of town this weekend. I won't, I won't be home He's until Saturday. He's going to be out Saturday. of town. You guys are stuck with me. Um, <laughs> so just, anybody just who you. wants to go. I feel sorry for your audience. <laughs> uh, I, so do <laughs> I. You know, anybody who wants to study by Echel and the, and the Zoom app is really neat because it's kind of like what we got going on here with the, the, the live thing that we got going on here. But, you know, it kind of uh, allows you to be a part of it and to actually be a part of a study on the uh, Parshas via hell, and you can, you know, go and do all that. Um, if you're interested, if you guys are interested, what you can do is send me a private message and say, I want to be a part of the Friday night study, and uh, we'll go and send you the link to the app and all that stuff. And then about 15 minutes before the study, you get a, a private link that opens up in the app, and you can join the study with us and be a part of the conversation. It's a lot of fun. Um, Matthew gets a little crazy. He starts, he starts, uh, you know, having the Shabbos wine around that time. Um, so you know, he gets a little <laughs> nutty at that time. So, you know, we've got to kind of control him whenever he is there. Do we get any questions? There? Uh, we have a, will there be a repeat about these books? This, uh, this video will be online later, right? Yes, we will have it on uh, Vimeo. We will also have it on YouTube. Okay. And also for those who are podcast subscribers of the Brutal Planet radio program, you'll be able to get these on iTunes. We also have, we have a video version on iTunes and the MP3 version on iTunes as well. What are you laughing at? What, we, we have a question here. Who is the cat in the video? Tell us about your cat. <laughs> that's what that's, I was laughing about. That's, that's Isabella. She's a, she's a goofball. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's my sidekick. <laughs> I'm just a troublemaker on the show with you every so often. Yeah, see, I'm, I'm kind of like Don Quixote. <laughs> She's kind of like my Sancho Panza in many ways. Sorry, Matthew. That's I'm part-time. I understand. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. We Maybe get any other questions there. With you more often. Oh, I said, no, yeah, I mean, who knows? Uh, no, I mean more information or lesson about these books. Oh, will there be a further teaching about these books? Is that what you're asking? Uh, if we, we cut, if we'll talk about these more. I, I'm not planning on it. I, I got some old archives, you know, oh. that are that are rough. Oh, but you know, what 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 is it that they feel that we haven't covered? Would be the question. Yeah, you know, uh, that would be. Uh, Diantha, I think that's how her name said, was asking, uh -huh. what, "What was what is it about the uh, about these books that you like covered more?" Tell us in those in the comments here. And uh, it, we don't have a plan to it at the moment, but maybe we can go back in a revisit one of these specifically if you have if you have specific questions or comments about it or one that's right. more particular about it uh, but as we said there's a couple of them that we consider not worth for to really put a lot of time to for various reasons um yeah so i don't know if that's uh it, but maybe one like maccabees maybe uh if you we might be able to do that closer to yeah. Hanukkah, actually since yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's may, very may... relevant to that I actually did an, uh, an, an Aramaic translation of Maccabees, as a matter of fact, um, that you can download for free on the Lapid Judaism website, as a matter of fact. So now you're um, just showing off. 
No, 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 it's, it's free. We never even put it in print because I didn't want to sell it. You know, I wanted people to get it and have it for Hanukkah and all that stuff. So, you so, know, and so as we... She replied saying that she'd like more about the history, uh, more like every book apart. I guess uh, more about the books themselves, the history of them. Okay. Um, we might be able to look into it doing. Uh, is there any particular one that you're interested in? We might be able to look into doing one of those. Um, uh, like I said there's some like Jasher I the, probably wouldn't bother with because we don't have any yeah. legitimate copy and of see, it. And one of the issues with that as well is that is that one of the issues with the reason why they're not a part of scripture is not only do they contradict it, especially Enoch contradicting yeah. scripture all over the place, but they're you know as matthew and i had discussed you know basically their origins where they came from you know and all these things it cannot be nailed down so the thing about it though is that if we got into that we would have to rely on a lot of speculation mm -hmm. and you know we don't have doc brown's time machine sadly and this is one of the major issues with with a lot of these you know we mentioned that uh, that uh pages of enoch are found within the dead sea scrolls that date uh they say from 100 AD to 25 or 100 BC to 25 AD. Uh, we don't have any. Uh, there's two versions of Jasher that came out in uh, one in the 1500s, one in the 1800s, which are both garbage as well. Uh, Toldot and 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 um, uh, Judith. I think that those were. 100 to 200 BC, if I remember correctly. Uh, Judas was um, had to be a little bit later. Probably once you figure, probably what the uh, 165 was the Maccabean revolt. The Hasmoneans were what 20 years later, mm -hmm. so 140s. So mm -hmm. somewhere 140 yeah. is be the oldest. So it's in between then. Uh, and what yeah. she actually applied here is thinking of, like the Book of Judith. Uh, was when she actually right about the time you start talking about that, she asked that. Mm -hmm. uh, that one there, we have some context of when it came out, but it was also when the Jewish canon was being put together of the Tanakh, that was one that they excluded uh, because, like I said, because of the content we mentioned earlier, because of the fact that it was Greek, also the period that they put it in from what I've read, because it was after the period when they considered the prophets to be over. Um, so I don't know that they're... I haven't read it in depth because, uh, like I said, I bought, my, I bought the Catholic Bible. I bought it for, for a copy of the Maccabees in it. Uh, and it was cheaper to buy that than it was to buy just the Maccabees, oddly enough. Yeah. So, so I, it was eight bucks for that. And it was... 15 to buy just one at first second Maccabees. Uh, why would I spend they, twice uh, as much? I mean, so. well, you know, they, they, they do have some, some, some beautiful print copies of the Maccabees over at artscroll.com. Art yeah. scroll. You're going to spend a little bit more money over there. But they make really but good the stuff. Thing about it though, oh gosh, they're, they're the stuff that they put out is, is beautiful and uh, presented better than most of the publishers. I mean, I, I really love art scroll. <laughs> I guess the other concern I'd have about, though, about covering some of these books that, that both early church, you know, fathers as well as in, you know, going back and I'm being church fathers, I mean like the apostles, that they would have not have recognized a scripture. I, I don't know if that's really, I mean, other than maybe the historical value for books like the Maccabees, I don't know that that's really worth a lot of time putting a lot of study to because it's not going to be necessarily as spiritually beneficial as something that's actually relevant to our faith. Or more directly yeah, relevant, I guess. And and let's see, how long have we been on here today? It you is know, a quarter after, so Yeah, so 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 we've already been doing that for almost two hours today. So time flies, doesn't it? <laughs> 
Oh, yeah, but there was a lot to cover. And I think, uh, you know, it seemed that everybody who was watching kind of stayed with us and all that stuff. Do we have any other questions before we wrap up? I have not seen any others pop up there specifically. Uh, all so right. So it looks like that's Excellent. about it. So Awesome. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I guess for what it is that we'll do is we're going to wish you guys uh, Shalom Bachar. But also, again, if you guys want to go and uh, be a part of our Friday night study, it's at 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And you guys uh, got to get to get to kind of uh, touch Indians in many ways. You get to uh, go and uh, discuss with us, debate with us, call me an idiot, you know, and all that stuff. It's so Friday night. Yeah, it's absolutely free on Friday nights. You know, you don't have a congregation to go to. You could midrash, you know, uh, the Torah portion for each week with us. Um, so, you know, go and check that out. Send me a private message if you're interested. We'll get you signed up. And uh, I guess we'll go and wish everybody uh, Shalom Brocha. Also, have, a blessing. we are in the middle of the days of awe, so I hope that you have a very, yeah. you know, very deeply meaningful and spiritual time. I know it's a lot of prayer and introspection. I hope that's very meaningful and productive for everyone. Absolutely. That means, Otto, no more kicking puppies this week. No <laughs> kicking puppies for you this week. He has been in a deep depression over that, <laughs> as a matter of fact. He was hoping to do that. I said, you got to stop. All right. We'll catch you guys later. Have a good night, everyone. God bless. Right. So you want to learn Hebrew or Aramaic, or maybe both? Make sure to check out HebrewAndAramaic.com. All three of the instructors on the website have accredited Moray licenses to teach the languages that they teach on the website. You can take the lessons on your very own time, and they even have a Roku channel so you can learn from the comfort of your very own couch. With over 200 videos going step-by-step -step through the languages and all the various scripts and over 100 PDFs of exercises and quizzes, this is the most thorough set of lessons that you'll find anywhere on the languages of the Tanakh and the Brit Hadashah. So visit HebrewAndAramaic.com today and sign up for only $15 a month. <laughs>